Revelation chapter 8. And we're looking at chapter 8 verse 13 through to chapter 9 verse 12. Those who haven't been among us, I'll just, I can't recapture everything, so just a couple of things. In Revelation, when we look at bizarre pictures like locusts, when we look at bizarre pictures like horsemen, running out and bringing judgment with them. We need to remember what's happening. In today's language, we've got different cameras, different viewing angles on judgment scenes that God brings on the earth. And these are repeated quite a few times in Revelation from different angles, emphasizing different things about what God is doing. And what he will do. And so when we, when we look at specifically today's camera angle, what God is showing us through the locusts is what, he's do, what he is doing and will do specifically with unbelievers. So that's the focus for today. And I know we many believers sitting here, but there's lots for us to learn here. And even if what you learn today is God's grace is great because look what He saved me from. Well, then that's the lesson. So let's see what God has to say through this specific vision that was shown to John. And remember, what we're seeing here is what happens before the final day of judgment. It's leading up to that great day of judgment. It's not the day of judgment yet. It's a precursor to. And so that's the first remark I'd make. And the second one is this one. It is a dark passage. And we can't just read all the nice bits in Scripture. We've got to read the whole of Scripture because God's given it to us in His wisdom. And so when we look at this dark passage, speaking a lot about Satan and his demons and them at work, we need to remember that God is in control. Don't be discouraged by passages like this. But remember His promises to you. And pray for His protection over your soul so that you will not be discouraged. It's not meant for your discouragement. It's meant there as a warning to the world. And we need to take this warning out to the world. And so that's our task as well. Well, let's read through this passage starting in Revelation chapter 8 verse 13. And we're kind of where we left off last week. We had the first four trumpets blown and the judgments that came with them and those are massive pictures of destruction and judgment. Stars falling, mountains falling and you need to go and read those for yourselves. We can't stop there this morning and so I get to verse 13. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. In other words, if you thought this was bad, worse is coming. And I'll touch on that again now. Chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, 
and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In the appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Now, I would rather just close it there and go home, um, but we can't. It's God's word open to us, and let's study it. And so, what is God saying here? First bit of introduction again to you, just to remind us. When we interpret Revelation, and especially when we come to a passage like this, the first question is not... So this is the incorrect question is, how does this apply to me? You can try, but if you're going to apply this directly to you, you're going to come to some weird answers. The correct answer is not about me first. The correct question to ask is, how would would John have seen this vision in his time? And how would the church who lived in John's time, have understood this passage? That's the right question. And because we aren't as good as the Jews of those times to interpret the the whole of Scripture, because we aren't as good these days to know our Old Testaments, having been taught them from when you could just speak and open your eyes, we have to really do some work. We've got to go and see how would they have understood this, because they knew the Scriptures as they had it those days. Specifically the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament inside out. They were reciting the Old Testament from when they were real small, so they knew them. How many of you have recited the Old Testament every single day? No, you see? I rest my case. So, we need to do homework. So the correct question to ask is, how would John have understood this, and how would his readers and his listeners have understood this? And we're going to look a little bit at that. And then... We need to refer back to the Old Testament in the vision, in the vision um, phrases and the, the pictures that are created here for us. It points back to the Old Testament mainly. You see, Revelation is a summary of the Old Testament and then God adds to the future. And how do we interpret that for what is to happen? That's only the last bit of it. Most of it is a summary of the main things that happen in the Old Testament and the principles that the people were supposed to learn from it. 
And so we must look back to the Old Testament references and then pick up those principles that remain timeless and then we apply them to, how does that apply to my life then? And to the future. Alright, so you got that? So firstly, how does this apply to John, his listeners? How does that all apply to the Old Testament references and then those principles, how do they apply to me? So we'll get to you, but later. Let's get to this. The second reminder, this is a reminder that the trumpets and the trumpet judgments that we're looking at, and this is the fifth trumpet this morning, is God's judgment over unbelievers specifically. So it's not about us as believers and what's going to happen to us, but what is going to happen to those who have not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ when these things happen and are happening. If you don't do that, you will also be open to misinterpretation. Alright, let's look at this eagle. Here we have in chapter 8 verse 13, this eagle coming at treetop level, right in the middle of the sky, and there's relevance for that, so that everyone could see this eagle. And in the Jewish mindset, it could have been an eagle or a vulture. They they, they were kind of used a bit of interrelatedness. But this eagle cries, Woe, woe, woe. What does the word woe mean? It's not a pop song. Woe, woe. It's not that... It's judgment, judgment, judgment. That's what woe means. And eagles were known um, in two ways. They were either birds of victory, give me wings as those of an eagle, or they were birds which brought God's judgment, which were messengers that judgment was coming. And so in Jewish culture, if you want to read about that, Hosea chapter 8 verse 1, I've listed these for you, Jeremiah 4.13, and I've just picked a few, Lamentations 4.19. But specifically go and read the book of Joel, because today's passage on the locusts is basically a summary of what happens in the Old Testament book of Joel, J-O-E-L, and also Exodus, to do with the locusts. Those are the two main focuses. And so this eagle comes... And he's crying, judgment, judgment, judgment from God. And if you thought what has come now was bad, what is now to come is worse. And so, let's see what this is. And we get to our fifth trumpet, verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star, note this word, fallen from. I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So, when the fifth trumpet blows, the Apostle John, in his vision, sees a fallen star. It has already fallen. When did it fall? Well, we need to refer back to chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. There was this big star which was like a mountain which fell onto the springs, onto the sources of light. And we saw last week that this referred to Babylon, that evil city which also became an emblem for Satan himself that fell to the earth. How do we know Satan fell to the earth? Jesus says so. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 20. Jesus gives us a bit of an interpretation of what is happening over here. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 20, and I'll um, specifically be referring to verse 18 here. 72 returned from their mission and the Lord says this. And they said, Lord, on our mission, 
Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And this is what Jesus said. Now we need to learn from this. It has application here this morning. This is what Jesus said. And he's the son of man. He knows all of time. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Why? We know now. They sealed. Okay, we'll get there. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So verse 18 specifically, Jesus refers to that moment before um, their existence when Satan was cast out of heaven. Why? Because he came up as an angel of light and he thought, I can be, put myself above God. His pride tried to put him above God and God cast him out of heaven. Together with all the, the angels who had the same thoughts with him, and they were cast away and into, and we'll come to this, they were cast into the abyss. Well, it's also described to us in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 12. So if you just want to flick a few pages forward, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 12. This is what it says. Describing that event. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. And that's where we get to the dragon later, alright? The deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Now there's a mix of time there. Don't get confused by that. There's a mix of what happened before mankind was around and also after and pointing towards the future. And it all sounds confusing now, but as we study on through Revelation, it will become clear. Just to know that Satan is, one, is the angel being referred to here and he is the one cast down to earth. So he is the star who is cast down to the bottomless pit. But note, the verse doesn't stop there. It says he was given the key to the bottomless pit. He was given the key. He didn't have the key. He was given it by who? By Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the one who is in control of all these things. He is the sovereign God. He has the key to all these things. And he is the one who gives Satan the key to the bottomless pit so that Satan can do, go and do what Satan must do. So he's got delegated authority from Jesus Christ. And what is the delegation he's, he's given? It's given to him and his mission is to torment for a time all those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. God's judgment and Satan is doing it. Now, Satan probably went about this with great glee and happiness if Satan could be happy. 
But God says you are to judge all those who, have the seal, who do not have the seal on their foreheads. What does that remind you of? If you're a good Jew, this, the Passover, when God preserved His people when the plagues were brought out, down on Egypt and specifically when the angel of death came. He preserved all those who had the blood on the lampposts, on the doorposts of their homes in Egypt. And so Satan has final authority, Jesus has final authority over Satan and his cohorts. We need to remember that. Where else did we see that in Jesus' ministry? Does that remind you of anything? Jesus with, with um, authority over the demons? Anyone? There's a few in- instances. The pigs, the swine, alright? Luke chapter 8 verse 30. You must have read my notes, Marty. Jesus and the demons in the swine. There's that man who came out of the hills and he had a de- many demons in him. And when they came into contact with Jesus, this is what verse 31 of Luke chapter 8 says. They begged him not to command them to go into the abyss. They begged him, in other words, they knew what was coming. And so they begged him who had control not to command them, then they have to go into the abyss, the place where they should go. And so Jesus has final authority over Satan and his cohorts. And just something else from here, there's another association to a good Jew. Jesus commands Satan to go about his business Satan's business, but it is under God's command. Satan doesn't just roam around as a free-roaming authority on his own. What does that remind you of? Old Testament? Job. Thank you. Job. What does Satan do in Job chapter 1? He goes and he presents himself before God to give an account of his movements. And then he says to God, what about Job? He's only so good because you are good to him. And God says, all right, you test him and you will see that he's a man after my own heart. And so he gets permission from God to test Job, to torment him is the word that we're going to use here, all right, but not to kill him. That's the parameter. You may torment, torture, but you may not kill. And then you will see he's a faithful man of God. And so we see here that God has dominion over life and death. No one will die before God says yes. He is the one who holds the key to death and Hades. Jesus said so himself. Where else do we see what happens here? We see here that Satan will also try to kill unbelievers. That's his default setting. He will try to kill unbelievers. Why? Because then they can't repent. How do we know this? Well, in Scripture... We have various instances. One of them is Mark chapter 9, verse 20 to 22. There we find a demon-possessed boy described. And what did he keep doing with his demons inside him? He kept throwing himself into fire. He kept, when they pulled him out of the fire with burn marks all over him, he then would jump into a pool of water and try to drown. It was the demons in him. Satan was wanting to kill him. Why? So they wouldn't have a chance to repent. Because Satan knows a little bit of the big picture too. And what happens there? He can only do that until that boy is delivered by God. Satan has limited ability. 
He can't, can't kill anyone unless God says yes. So we need to keep these things in mind when we get to this next bit. And so this is the summary of this, and I want to put it to you in this way. Satan and his servants will never want good for unbelievers. Did you hear me today? Old Nick, to put it in our colloquial, will never want good for people. He will always want to injure and bring down. Don't believe his lie. He's not the friend of sinners. There's only one friend of sinners. And who is that? Jesus Christ. What does that old hymn say? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Only one friend of sinners. Don't believe Satan. You're not going to have a good time with him in hell. Right, we'd better move on. Verse 2 to 6. What do we see now in this vision that John sees? He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Now, to be able to understand this you must see this picture in your mind's eye and step back from it so you see the immensity of it. You can't go and look at every little detail. You're going to miss the wood for the trees. You need to stand back and see the big picture here. So let's look at this big picture. There's some words used here. And we need to know the difference here between Sheol and Hades and the abyss and the bottomless pit. So you, you're listening with me now. You really need to track a bit now. So what does Sheol or Hades? Sheol was a Hebrew word. Hades is a Greek word for the same thing. Alright, so we've done a bit of Hebrew and Greek. Sheol is the Hebrew word which refers to death. Hades is a Greek word referring to the grave. So it's death and the grave when you see those two words. It's not the same thing as the bottomless pit. You see, once we die, if Jesus doesn't first come, we will all go through Sheol or Hades. The grave, that's all. You don't need to know more than that. You see, once we die, time means nothing to us. And the very moment we die, we're in the presence of Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer, you'll be filled with sheer joy. If you're an unbeliever, you'll be filled with awful and sheer terror. That's at the moment of your death. Because the Bible also speaks about a resurrection associated with the grave. For everyone, believer and unbeliever. Acts chapter 24 verse 15 speaks about this. A resurrection of the unrighteous and the righteous. We're all live again. The resurrected who are in Christ will rise to an eternal life with Christ in heaven. What did he say to the thief on the cross? This very day you will be with me in paradise. But to those who do not believe, he promises through his word, this very same God, you will rise to an eternal punishment in hell, or Gehenna, which is the other word used. And so, we will all be resurrected. Don't believe the lie that once you die, it's all over. That's called annihilation. And some of the people that knock on your door will bring that to you and say, that's what God's Word says. It's not. It's a lie. 
He says we will all rise again. Some to judgment, some to everlasting life. Okay, so that's Sheol and Hades. We'll all go through there unless Jesus Christ comes again, the grave. Next thing is the abyss or the bottomless pit, or here's another word for you, Tartarus. We'll get to that one. So what is that all about? This is this place where the demons go. It's kind of a demon prison. And if you're sitting here and you're not a believer, you might think, what's this? This is just, come on, you guys believe this. Yes, we do. Because the Bible says so. And so whether it sounds airy-fairy or not, this is what God's Word says, and His, His Word says we must believe it. But remember, we're reading a picture here. And so this is the picture. The abyss or the bottomless pit is where demons and fallen angels are kept waiting for the day of judgment. The Bible teaches us that. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. This is what it says. Read with me. Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now the word hell used there specifically is the word Tartarus. It's not the word for hell, the final place where the devil and his angels and sinners will go forever. It is called Tartarus here. Okay? And the Jews often used that in an interrelated way. But it was speaking about the abyss, this bottomless pit or Tartarus, when uh, Jesus is referring to it here. Oh, sorry, John is referring to it. And it's a place in Greek mythology where the very worst of sinners, those who were a pain in the side of the gods, were kept. And the Jewish mindset was very influenced by Greek mythology. But... Hear God's truth today. What God is speaking about here is, and the place where He keeps fallen angels is not mythology, as some would say, but it is in the reality described in Scripture. And so we must believe it. I hasten on. When Satan opens this bottomless pit or the abyss, smoke comes up from it. Now you need to see the big picture and I found a good painting that kind of helps a little bit. It's not a photo, by the way. Just in case. But smoke comes from it, and it says, like a, a furnace, like smoke from a furnace. So what's that all about? You see, smoke is used in two ways in Scripture. In Revelation, when you have scenes of heaven, you see smoke fills the presence of the Lord. His holiness pervades everything. But then you also have other instances where smoke rises up from judgment, and from the place like the abyss, where it is pervasive, and it fills the whole of this place of evil. And it was also a picture of judgment. Smoke was always associated with judgment. Think of the scenes on Mount Sinai when God appeared. Smoke and lightning and clouds. God was bringing judgment, but it was also His presence. And so this place, when Satan opens the abyss, we see the smoke coming up like a furnace. So much so that in John's vision, the sun is darkened and the air is thick with the smoke. That's to help us see the picture. But that's not where it stops. He then brings forth stinging locusts. And now you really have to track with me, otherwise you're going to be off on the wrong tangent. 
He brings forth stinging locusts, or what to John look like stinging locusts. Do you see the difference? They look like sting- He's trying to put into words this vision he's seeing. And here come these creatures that look like locusts. Stinging locusts with tails like scorpions. And they get their marching orders from Satan. And their marching orders are to act inside the parameters set by Jesus Christ. In other words, what are the parameters? We read that in verses 5. They are to injure and hurt people for a limited time only. Five months. And I'll come to that. They're not to kill anyone. And they're not to hurt any plant life. Now if you tell that to any self-respecting locust, it would look at you twice. These were like locusts. But they had a specific mission. You are to bring torment to men and women. And don't touch the plants. And don't kill them. And only for five months. A limited period of time. Have you ever been in a locust swarm? You don't get these much in New Zealand. Maybe in the South Island, but mostly Aussie. In South Africa, plenty. I've been in the middle of locust storms in Kimberley area. And you think it's turning to night because it gets really dark when there's big, 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 massive swarms descend. And the earth is filled, uh, the, the skies are filled with them. And if you're traveling in a car, your windscreen is splattered with them. You put on the windscreen wipers, it splatters yellow all over the place. Beautiful. And you see flying locusts. And then if you see the whole swarm approaching, and if you stay there long enough, you're brave enough, you see that next after the flyers come the what? Biology, come on people. What did they teach you in New Zealand? Yeah? The hoppers, thank you. Someone paid attention. The hoppers coming along the ground, those that haven't learned to fly yet. Alright? So this whole swarm of locusts is coming along. And what do they do as a normal locust swarm? They will eat everything in their sight. And I've seen it with my own eyes. They'll descend on the field of grain. And when that locust swarm lifts, there's dust. Nothing. And there were plants half an hour ago. And the sound you hear is an amazing sound. It's just the sound of insects flying and eating. It's terrifying. But what makes up for it is when you're traveling in the car and you can kind of squash all the hoppers. And you hear that sound under the tires. It's really good. Alright, back to our text. So, this locust swarm comes and Satan summons them from the depths of the abyss. And they're told to go out for a period of five months. Now, why not a third of the time? Well, five months. There must be a reason for that. You see, in Israel, when locusts descended on the country, they usually stayed around for a period of five months. And then they were gone again. But they usually only stayed for a few hours, or at worst a day, and then they moved on. But the Lord says this time, they will be around for five months. They will bring my judgment on you as unbelievers for the full period of judgment I have given to you as people in my time. They will be there. And for the full period, I will not relent, but it will be a limited time only. Do you get five months now? And so he teaches them from something they would already know back in Israel. God is in control. That's what he was trying to teach them through this. Torment would only last for a limited time. 
And then these locust demons are released for a while and then sent back to the abyss. And Revelation chapter 20 teaches us this, together with their master Satan, where they would be forever in hell once judgment, the day of judgment, has taken place. Alright, that's a rough summary of where we're going with these locusts. Now, the appearance. Everyone's dying to wait. What's going to happen with this now? Oh, oh, I've got a photo. That's right. So what's with this appearance? Why do we get, if this is supposed to be just a picture to show us immensity, why do we, why do we get this minute little description? Again, we're just supposed to be overawed by all this. And John saw it in such detail, and he tries to put into words in such detail, but we are to just stand back and see the terror, the sheer terror in its minuteness that is going to come on unbelievers. The reality of what God is about to bring. We aren't supposed to analyse every bit of it and then put a modern interpretation on it, as many have on the Gospel according to Google. Man, I saw some amazing things on Google. So, one of the big arguments on Google is that this vision is talking about the American Air Force. And there's going to be Huey Cobras. And they've got pictures. You see? And they've interpreted everything. The wings are like the sound of the rotors. And the crown is the emblem. And that could be most things. Faces of the pilots. Yeah, that's what the text says. And um, the tail of the scorpion. Don't know about that one. Um, the new ones now, the uprated models, have got machine guns in the tail sauce. Yeah. Um, Breastplates, they've got armor plating. Teeth of a lion, you know those big teeth they paint on all the American planes somewhere. Um, no. No. If you're down that tangent, and I'm afraid many believers are, you're down misinterpretation. Because the picture is so much bigger. It could be any army. Because God in the Old Testament brought real armies across His people. But is it going to be an army of people? What does Scripture teach us here? It's going to be an army of demons. Servants of Satan that will be released and that have been released already into this world to do their work before the great day of judgment. You see, what are, we, what are we supposed to see here? We're supposed to see the torment that comes when Satan is released to do his work. When he was cast down from heaven, he was released for a while to do his work. And when Jesus Christ came and conquered death on the grave, Satan knew his time on earth was short. And then he really got stuck in. And we're in that period of he's really got stuck in. And so on the news, when you read reports of Aleppo and what's happening in Syria and armies killing people, this is these demons at work. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse until the great day of judgment. It's not going to get better. And so every time you see these news reports, no, Satan is at work, but God is in control. He is judging, but it is His controlled judgment And why does He judge in this way? And that is what we must see. Why does He judge in that way? I want to come back to that one. Hang on that question. Why does He do this? This whole 
reference that we get here, and the, and the question again hangs in the air, why do we get this minute picture? It is because in the book of Joel it's described that way. And what is he doing? He's nearly quoting from the book of Joel. And that's why we get a specific picture. If you go and read Joel chapter 1, verse 1 to 7, go and read it for yourself and see. And I'm going to read just a little bit of it. Here we go. Joel, Old Testament, not next to Matthew. Joel chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? When this breaks out on this earth, people will say the same thing. And God will throw the same question at them. Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation what the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts, have eaten. What the, lo- the swarming lotus locusts left, the hopping locusts have eaten. And what the hopping locusts left, the destroying locust has eaten. Here's the lesson. Awake you drunkards and weep. And wail all you drinkers of wine because of the sweet wine. For it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth not American helicopters. And it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. And this is what God did in the history of actual Israel. But He will once again do prophetically at the end of time. That's the lesson we get from it. And I just want to go to their leader and then I'll come to the application to those who hear this. Who is their leader? It's described to us in verse 11. The angel of the bottomless pit, also called, here's another word for you now, Abaddon. His name is in Hebrew, destruction. Or in Greek, Apollyon, which means destroyer. Who is this? Satan. This is the one behind all this. And Apollyon was also wordplay for John's readers and listeners because it was kind of uh, code for for Roman leaders at that time who were following Apollo around. So it's kind of a making fun of them, but also referring to them. And so John ends this vision with this. But we haven't got to the crux verse yet. Verse 6. This is the most awful, one of the most awful verses in Scripture. Look at this verse, verse 6. And in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. What do we do with a verse like that? You see, so intense will be this torment that Scripture describes to us, that men will seek death by any means, but will not find it. And what's the reason for that? The reason is because death will flee from them. Why will death flee from them? Because death does not have permission from Christ to touch them. Who is in control? Jesus Christ. Christ says, I hold the keys to death and Hades. Revelation 1 verse 18. And here's the, the, the terrible thing. It's already prevalent today. And John can tell us more about this and we are going to look at this some stage, but the suicide number in this country is on the rise and massively so. Why? Because, and there are many other reasons, and I speak about this really carefully, it's a really sensitive subject. There's much more to this. But, 
Why is suicide on the rise? Because more and more and more people are coming up with a sense of hopelessness. Because they look for meaning to life in everything around them, in the adrenaline and the joys and money that New Zealand has to offer, and they do not find it. And when they can't find it, they try and take their own lives. And many succeed. But is that the answer? Death flees from them. Why? Because in the moment of their death, they see Jesus Christ. That's the terrifying thing. And so Satan will spread this lie that when you die, it's all over. You will have peace. But in reality, it's the biggest lie out. Because when they die, they find Jesus Christ there. And so we really need to take the message of the gospel out to the people around us. When we see hopelessness, we really need to spread that gospel message because in Christ, hope is to be found. And we need to get around these people and find medical help for many of them so that they don't put their own hands to their own lives. Satan is at work. It's the judgment of God on mankind who do not know Him. And sadly, many believers also for various reasons, lose hope and take their lives. And we leave them in the hands of Jesus Christ. He knows their souls. Why does Christ allow all this torment? Here's the reason. It's so that men will call on Him to be saved. Is this the last day of judgment yet? No, it's leading up to that. And how do I know this? Because the same Old Testament book, Joel chapter 1, tells me the answer. Joel chapter 1, verse 13 to 20. This is what it says. I'll get there, just hold. Joel chapter 1, verse 13 to 20. Listen to this. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests, wail, O ministers of the altar, go in, pass the night in sackcloth. In other words, just look at the headings on your Bible there. He's calling the nation to repentance. Judgment is coming on you, but there's still time to repent. Now look further on, chapter 2. Because the day of the Lord is coming, then you will have no more time. And so when this judgment comes on people, the reason is so that they would repent. And so when unbelievers experience the torment of God, His judgment on them, He is saying to them, repent, there is still time. Don't leave it. You will be destroyed forever and ever and ever endlessly. But will they repent? Now we're going to sneak ahead and look. Chapter 20, look ahead to verse 20 of the chapter we're in. Verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, what did they do? They did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Right in the middle of all this judgment, do you see the hardness of the human heart when sin is there? Do you see the pervasiveness of sin? Do you see why we need Jesus Christ to save us? We cannot save ourselves from that sin which is so rooted in us as unbelievers. It will drag us to hell. 
You need Jesus Christ to save you from that. You cannot do it in your own strength. You will die in your sin without coming to Jesus Christ. I plead with you, come to Jesus Christ. He is the one who is so much more powerful. He is the sovereign God, the all-powerful one. He will save you. And you will not die in that sin. But if you don't come, you will definitely die in your sin because Satan will not help you. He will help you to hell. What do we do with this? I want to ask two questions. And then we're through. Firstly, to you this morning, if you're not a believer, if you are unprotected by the blood of Jesus Christ, if this is the passage that is relevant to you this morning, this is what I ask you this morning. I plead with you, don't believe Satan's lie. Satan is not an independent agent. Satan does not operate on his own, but he is under God's authority. This is not a struggle between two equal forces, as he would have you believe. It is not a struggle between yin and yang, good and evil. It is a battle that Satan does with God, and he knows he's lost. God has won. We are in the last times before the day of judgment. God is sovereign. Believe that truth. And God uses Satan for his purposes. Yes, a holy God, even though Satan thinks they're his purposes. But Satan bows the knee to God. And listen to me, Satan does not bow the knee to you. He will bring you down. He bows the knee to God. And so Satan won't look after you. He's out to to destroy you if you do not have Jesus in your life. He will injure you and destroy you. And he's blinded your eyes to the truth of who Jesus really is. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says that Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever to the truth of who Jesus is, so that you won't repent. That's your friend. And so I plead with you, come to Jesus Christ. If you're experiencing fears, if you're experiencing anxieties in life, despair, futility, spiritual confusion, these are all the side effects, all the symptoms of being on the run from God. Stop your running. Bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You can't run when you're kneeling. Bow to Jesus Christ. He is the real, true God. Bow to Him. Ask Him to come into your life and to save you and to bring His protection of His blood, His power, His love on your life. And you too will experience the love of Almighty God. And He will save you from what is to come on you if you don't hear. Jesus Christ. And those of you who are believers, those of you who are protected, I want to remind you this morning from this very same passage, who is in control? You see, we need to remind ourselves because stuff happens. And when we look at the wind and the waves, and you'll hear this nearly every Sunday from me, you will start to doubt, like Peter did. We need to be reminded who is in control? God is. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is omnipotent, all-powerful. He holds the key to this life. He holds the key to the next life. 
life and death are His domain, not Satan's. Your soul is protected. Don't believe Satan's lie and start to doubt. And He will keep you from any harm by the seal of Jesus Christ which is on your life. And when you look in the mirror, like I said last week, you will only see wrinkles. You will see nothing else. There is a seal on your life. There is a seal of the Holy Spirit all over your life. He is inside you, all around you. There is a seal of Jesus who lives in and with you and through you. You have got the name of the Son of God on you. You bear the passport of the Lamb and you belong to Him. Believe these truths. Don't become dispirited and discouraged. God has placed His Spirit in you and over your life. You are sealed for eternity. Satan cannot steal that from you. God be praised. How do we then live in these last days? James chapter 4 verse 7 to 8 says this. And I close with this. And this is how we practically live in these last days. James chapter 4 verse 7 to 8. Submit yourselves to God. That means bow the knee. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. How do we resist him? Not in our strength. We've seen already how strong he is. But in the strength of God who is in us. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So near that he's inside you all around you. And then cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. How do we do that? On our knees, asking for forgiveness from sin daily. Be wretched and mourn and weep. What's that all about? It's about our sinful condition. Every single day I find myself sinning again. I need to be come in tears before the Lord daily. Give them to Him. He will take them away. We need to give our shallow laughter to Him, the joys that we find in this world that are so shallow, Put those things behind us and find the true joy that only comes from Jesus Christ. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. That's His promise to you. Alright? Let's pray. Lord our God, we see these sometimes confusing, confusing pictures of of these things sketched to us in your, in your word. But Lord, help us to see the truth through all this. That you are the one who is sovereign and in control. And when you bring your judgment on those who do not believe, you will look after your own and we will never be harmed in our souls. Our bodies might be affected, but our souls remain untouched by Satan and his messengers because they are being guard, our souls are being guarded by Jesus Christ Himself, the all-powerful God, the one who lives inside us through His Spirit. Lord, keep us encouraged and keep us living victorious lives in the face of the world. Keep us living lives which show Jesus Christ and the hope to be found in Him so that many would still come to You before it is too late and find the hope in Jesus Christ. Help us, our God, we pray. Because we are weak. You are strong. You are in control. We praise your name. Amen. We're not going to sing a last hymn at the end. I'm... Uh,
I want us to sing the doxology written in 1694. So no, you don't know it from when it was written. Um, 